cannabis is a hot topic in wellness these days from CBD infused teas and kombucha to gummies and tinctures. But there's more to cannabis than just CBD. There are hundreds of cannabinoids, including CBD, THC, and others. I field a lot of questions about whether cannabis is beneficial in women's health issues to whether it's safe while trying to conceive, pregnant, or breastfeeding. Today, I'm talking to cannabis expert, Emily Kyle, a registered dietitian, nutritionist, and certified holistic cannabis practitioner. She helps people sort through misinformation, conquer fears, and find support as someone interested in learning how to use cannabis. After years of struggling to manage her own chronic pain, anxiety, depression, and severe mood swings with conventional treatment, she finally turned to the cannabis plant to find relief from her symptoms. She found incredible relief that allowed her to reclaim her daily joy and productivity. And now she shares how to use cannabis safely and responsibly with others while breaking the long-held stigma of cannabis users. I am so super excited to share this episode with you. So let's get started. Welcome to Hormonally Yours with the Hormone Dietitian. If you're a busy woman struggling with hormonal issues like PCOS, fertility struggles, and other hormone imbalances, and you feel like you're the boss of your life in every area but your hormones, then you're in the right place. I'm your host, Melissa Groves Azero, integrative women's health dietitian, coffee lover, cat lady, all black wearing, former New York City advertising exec turned professional period fairy. It's my mission to be the no BS hormone nutrition education resource for smart women struggling with hormone imbalances so you can have regular symptom-free periods and optimize your fertility naturally. I'm here to share real, actionable, science-based tips you can use to get real results without cutting out foods, spending hours in the gym or meal prepping, and without losing sleep, because we're all about balance here at The Hormone Dietitian, and I am so glad you're here. Let's get started. Welcome, Emily. I cannot even tell you how excited I am for today's episode and to have you here as a guest. Tell the audience, who you are and what you do. Well, thank you so much for having me. And like you, I'm a registered dietitian nutritionist. I took a little bit of a different path. I originally, I had worked in a hospital clinical setting. I think we all know how that goes. It just wasn't the right fit for me. And I had always been a cannabis user, but I had always hidden it. You know, if I ever, if dietitians ever knew that I use cannabis, I was going to die. I could not let anybody know. But about like, 2018, 2019 CBD came on the marketplace and it was like a really safe way to like dip my toe in the water. And when I started talking about it, people were so interested. So I was like, oh, I love this so much. So I went back to get certified as a certified holistic cannabis practitioner through a program of other dietitians. 
And that just kind of changed everything for me. I just really realized how much I love talking about cannabis and introducing it to other people so they can learn how to feel better too. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize, you know, the biochemistry and nutritional science that, you know. I'm always so thankful that I took all of those courses because sometimes I don't think I would even know what I was talking about. I do think that registered dietitians are uniquely positioned to understand and discuss cannabis, especially as it relates to edibles. Yeah. So how did you get into this field and and why are you so passionate about it? Yeah. So like I said, I hid everything. It was like, oh my gosh, I remember like being awake at night, being like, oh my God, if anyone knew who I really was deep down (laughs) inside, like they would ostracize me. And, you know, when I just started talking about CBD kind of came out a little bit and eventually I just, I jumped right out of the cannabis closet and it was super scary, but I found so much support from my community that I was like, you know what, I can do this. And, and as I started to incorporate it into my career, I found so much support from colleagues and people really are really interested in this information. So it really just kind of was a natural, perfect fit over time. Yeah. So to get into a little bit of the science, what is the endocannabinoid system? It's a great question. And it's one of my favorite things to talk about because, you know, we are spend so much time talking about our digestive system, our immune system, our cardiovascular system, and how we can take care of these. Most of us just don't even know we have an endocannabinoid system. It's a fairly foreign word for a lot of people. In in science terms, it really is a new discovery. It's only been around for about 30 years. And that's why we don't learn about it in school. There's unfortunately a a lot of science we're missing currently, but there is a significant amount of science to talk about the endocannabinoid system. And its main goal, they believe in the body is to maintain homeostasis or that perfect balance, which really makes sense when you think about cannabis, because cannabis can work for such a wide range of conditions from mental to emotional to physical. That endocannabinoid system is so busy trying to help us bring homeostasis into the body. And the system itself is made up of many different chemicals, messengers, and receptors. So we have two kinds of cannabinoid receptors in our bodies. We have a CB1 receptor, which is on our brain and central nervous system. And we have CB2 receptors, which are all throughout our peripheral tissues and mainly our immune system. So I always tell people, you know, people like, can cannabis really do all of that? And in a, in a way, yes, it really can affect every sense of our bodies. Yeah, I think, you know, when we're first learning about the endocannabinoid system, and especially if you've never heard of it before, and you're like, okay, so we have this thing in our body that cannabis, which is an external thing, yep. works on. So what's happening if we're not having cannabis? Is it, you know, what's what's going on in there? We actually, we make our own endogenous. Yes, we do. So it, I like to talk about it in terms of like, you know, people are somewhat familiar with like serotonin or other mm-hmm. kinds of hormones that our bodies produce. Hopefully we will be saying anandamide and 2-AG, just like we say serotonin. And hopefully we'll get to understand those because you're right. Those are the two that our bodies naturally produce. And so when we think about it, Maybe the endocannabinoid system isn't specifically designed to work with cannabis because it works on its own, essentially. But when we talk about deficiencies and other things like that, that's where cannabis can kind of play a role and come in and kind of help to help the body maintain homeostasis. Yeah, I was reading, you have an article on your site that kind of talks about endocannabinoid system deficiency. So that could be 
you know, I was it, when I was reading through it, it seems almost like when someone has a mood disorder or something like depression or anxiety where, you know, maybe there's not enough neurotransmitters or maybe they're not binding to the receptors in the way that they should. Is that kind of similar to what would be going on in that situation? Absolutely. And so there's just still so much we don't know. So we don't know exactly. And we don't, we can't say anything for say a specific condition. You can do X, Y, Z. And really when it comes down to it, that's why cannabis science really is very hard to research because our endocannabinoid systems are unique to us, just like our immune systems are. They're very different from person to person. And then they can react with different cannabinoids differently too. You know, me and you both could take 10 milligrams of THC and have vastly different experiences. So it's really hard to account for that. And until we have more really true long-term clinical evidence, it's really hard to say, you know, I wish I could say X will do Y and then we'll get to Z, but we're not there yet. Still a little bit of an art plus science, right? I love the way you said that. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's, there's actually a reason why, you know, all the, all the evidence-based folks will come at us and say, well, there's not research in XYZ, but there's actually a reason why there hasn't been more research on cannabis. And I can't remember, is it the farm act or some sort of farm act that was preventing it? And now it's open. So now we should. (laughs) Really lucky in 2018, they passed the 2018 farm bill, which has given us A little bit more leeway, but as most people know, cannabis remains federally illegal. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about it, the only thing really that the government cares about is THC. That's the only thing out of the hundreds of different compounds, all they care about is the THC. And so currently the definition is anything that's less than 0.3% THC is hemp and legal. Anything more than 0.3% THC is illegal. Now, because of that, no federal funding can go into studying cannabis and the effects on health. And that's kind of how we get into this holding pattern really is cannabis is the most widely used if you want to say drug ever in the history of plants. And so we have so much anecdotal evidence, but we have no scientific evidence. And so most scientific evidence is bred from anecdotal evidence. So hopefully as our, we're heading towards federal legalization, I don't know when we'll see it so politicized, unfortunately, but hopefully with the passage of federal legalization will come that research that we desperately need. Yeah. It'll make it easier. And, you know, I'm sure Unlike a lot of conditions, I think there are a lot of people who'd be willing to step up and fund research for that. I think so too, right? Because everyone wants to share their experience, especially if they've had a really positive experience. They want to share that because if it helped them, hopefully it could help someone else too. Yeah. So what are some of the benefits of cannabis use? It's so wide. And again, because we have these receptors throughout our bodies. And so it's hard for a lot of people to be like, okay, well, cannabis can help with mental conditions. Correct. So we've got anxiety, depression, mood disorders, but it also can help with physical. So physical pain, inflammation, things like that. And Really, when it comes to cannabis, the kind of the golden rule among practitioners is to to say you always treat the patient, not the condition. You never use cannabis to you don't treat endometriosis with a certain plan. It's based on the person, their experiences and their needs. And so with cannabis, I always say, you know, it's not necessarily for everybody, but it's worth trying because it can help widely for so many different people. Yeah, there, you know, I think some of my clients are surprised when I bring it up as an option or I ask them if that's something that they have tried and if they have gotten any benefits from it. 
it's almost like magnesium. I feel like magnesium is the supplement where it's like, you've got insomnia, take magnesium. You've got menstrual cream. You didn't even know. Yeah. Yeah. So I kind of feel like, like kind of like that. So, you know, really general period pain and cramps, endometriosis, migraines, PMS and mood swings, mood disorders, anxiety. PMS. I mean, just personally, gosh, if I didn't have cannabis during my three days of rampage. I mean, it really just helps so, so much in so many different ways, both with physical pain and with emotional regulation. And again, it's not for everybody, but people are probably surprised because they're so used to their healthcare practitioners saying, do you use cannabis? Do you use it in an accusatory way that for someone to come in and be open-minded and be like, have you considered it? They're probably like, wow, cool. Like, I didn't even know this was something I should think about. Yeah. Insomnia too, especially. I find a lot of women who are struggling with mood issues and PMS and even PMDD, they get their sleep gets affected or even perimenopause starts to, you know, result in insomnia. And, you know, unlike with alcohol where, you know, you think it helps you sleep because it helps you fall asleep faster, but it actually ultimately disturbs your sleep. But cannabis can help you achieve deeper sleep and more REM sleep, which is that, that healing sleep. Yeah. And that's, you know, as we get into cannabis, I I kind of think of it as an onion. There's a lot of layers. And when we talk about cannabinoids, we're so familiar with THC and CBD, but there's over a hundred cannabinoids. And one of them that we're starting to study more is CBN or cannabinol, and they call it the sleep cannabinoid. It, it, It produces sedative properties. It helps you fall asleep and stay asleep. And so many people who are trying and say, wow, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm able to sleep through the night and it's nothing that's going to really make you feel intoxicated. It's not like THC where you feel high, but again, that's how cannabis can just be so complex. There's so many little things within it that we can manipulate to make ourselves feel a certain way. Okay. So with all of these cannabinoids, how do we know what we're getting? Like I've definitely seen recently a big marketing push towards full spectrum, you know, this full spectrum tincture. But if you actually look at it, some of them really do have that less than 0.3% THC so that they, you know, sneak under that, that legal limit. But so does that just mean technically it does have all of them, just not in the proportions found in nature? Correct. Yeah, that's a great It could. It could. could, Yes. And so cannabis plants, the way that they grow can have varying amounts of THC. So in nature, you could find a plant that's more CBD with less than 0.3% THC. Of course, plants don't go by percentages, you know, sometimes it could go to 0.4% THC, but they vary greatly. That's how we have different strains because these cannabinoids vary inside of them. So basically, when you're looking at a company, full spectrum can be used on less than 0.3% THC because it's just saying a little bit of everything's in there. But what you want to do is really look at their lab test and say what's in here in the greatest proportion, because that's really what you're going to be getting the benefits from. Yes. And they wanted to talk about that. So when we're looking to purchase you know, from a reputable company... I do know that's one of the things that you want to look for. You want to make sure that they have that third-party testing to certify what's actually in what you're buying, right? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. That's the number one. That's the thing that's going to protect you. And so, you know, a lot of people will say, you know, cannabis, it's not regulated by the FDA. Well, neither are supplements, but we all take our chances with supplements. So as long as you're educated and can feel comfortable knowing what you're looking for, it's okay to explore. That's what I expected you to stop there. Oh, so another thing that really matters, you know, when you're looking at where you're purchasing from, and this is just something that I've heard is that hemp as a plant can absorb a lot of things from the environment. So you want to make sure that it was, you know, grown organically in good soil and all of that. But any reputable company will have this information freely available for you to get, right? Yeah. So it's 100% true. Cannabis it's a, just a bioaccumulator. They actually will have used it in places of like radioactiveness because it will absorb everything out of the ground, which is great in that situation. But when you're consuming it, obviously you don't want that. So along with the third-party lab tests of just what they would call a certificate of analysis can come other third-party lab tests that test for heavy metals, pesticides, mold. And most companies, they'll list and say, you know, pass or fail and, and state that, yes, these tests were done. We've done our due diligence. This is the product we're putting out here. And these tests say that it's safe. Okay. A little bit of a detour, but back to CBD, THC, CBN, like when would we know which might be the appropriate one to try or the appropriate combination to try? Yes. I'm so glad you said the word combination because really when it comes down to it, it's almost the combination that matters more than the individual. And so when we talk about cannabis, there's this thing that's called the entourage effect. Dr. Ethan Russo proposed this and that cannabinoids, you know, you can have an isolated CBD, you can have isolated THC, but it's really believed that everything works better together within the plant. And it's not just cannabinoids in the plant, the terpenes also really can affect how you feel. And so when you're talking about like CBD and THC, a lot of people really need a combination of both and to alter the ratio. So like a two to one CBD to THC ratio or a one to one or a 10 to one, it's really manipulating them together, but they truly THC works better with CBD, CBD works better with THC, but you can adjust the amounts because not everyone wants a lot of THC. And that's, again, brings us back to full spectrum where even that little bit of 0.3% THC can help with the way that CBD is, is used in your body. Because again, our body uses everything together in more of a whole plant synergistic type of way. Yeah. So many of the CBDs on the market that, you know, are marketed as full spectrum and, you know, they have that 0.3%. So that's not enough for, for most people. That's not going to make you feel hot, right? No, no, absolutely not. However, if you work in the type of job where you are drug tested regularly or like a government job or something like that, if you take enough over time, it could flag positive on a drug test, right? Which is so unfortunate because it's just like, you're not actually experiencing any of the high from it, Exactly, but you're going to look positive on a drug test. Exactly. And people need to be aware, you know, it would be devastating to lose a job over something that, you know, you didn't even know was an actual problem. And it's just really sad that that's a reality for people. 
Yeah. I have a, a friend who has a teenage daughter who has Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. And yeah, you know, oh. the CBD has been really helpful for her with the joint pain and yeah. muscle pain, but Wonderful. yeah, she, she, you know, tested positive at school and they were like, well, you know, that's just what it is. It's not like she's using it recreationally. She's actually using it medicinally, you know? I know. And it's so crazy to think like, how dare you feel better with that tiny bit of THC in your system? You know, it's, it's just, I can't wait until we move forward from this thinking that THC is so dangerous when it really can be manipulated and used in very safe ways. Yeah. I remember reading, there's this book, called Nickel and Dimed in America. Have you read that? It's it's Mm -hmm. about a journalist who kind of goes undercover and works these three minimum wage jobs in America. Mm -hmm. But I want want to say she worked at one of the big like box stores where they do the drug testing. Mm -hmm. And it, it can be a problem because THC can stay in your system you know, for a very long time, depending on how much you use, which is crazy. I mean, it can be stored in our fat tissue for up to 90 days. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. And when you think about like harder drugs that are out of your system, like so quickly, it's just like, you know, I just feel like traditional drug testing is so like 1990s. Like we've, we're, we're making so many moves forward. Like let's include that. And I do see it a little bit. I believe here in New York state where I live, I do not believe that they can test for marijuana THC on a drug test unless it's like a government job or something where it like would matter. But I think that they're, they are trying to change that in New York state. It's funny. So my husband works in education here in New Hampshire and I definitely give him CBD, you know, gummies to sleep. Yeah. He has terrible sleep. Right. So I give him CBD gummies and like we were, we were really worried because he was starting a new job and it was like, am I going to have to pass a test? And I'm going to have to say, I don't know what my wife gives me. Like, you know, it's such a crazy feeling that we have to do that, but we don't have to justify our alcohol use. We don't have to justify our prescription medication use. We don't have to justify any other recreational drug use. Essentially. It's crazy that we're just like "Mm, this one molecule, we're going to obsess over this. Yeah. I actually got really mad because it turned out they didn't actually have to test him, that they only test the the janitors. They only test terrible. I was like, so they're testing the lowest income, you know, person so working. Why? It's not, I mean, sometimes when I use cannabis, I clean like a hundred times better. Like, right. why do you care what they're doing? It's just, it's so micromanagey to me that. Oh, it drives me crazy. You could go into that hyper-focused mode where you're just right? really like I'm gonna get my toothbrush out and clean these <laughs> cracks, you know? Like I I just it's so crazy to me that we still, like, even in 2022, are so afraid of a plant and that we don't trust adults enough to make the right decision. Even though adults are trusted with a lot of other decisions every day, it, it's just if we had the education, maybe we could trust people to make good choices. Yeah, hopefully, you know, hopefully we are moving more towards better. Definitely moving for sure. You know, we're getting there, but uh, sometimes it just still seems like so barbaric. And then we need to throw out all of the, the marijuana convictions and get all those folks out of jail too. It's just crazy. So 
a little side note on that. My father and oh, so I just was awarded my cannabis cultivation license here in New York State. Yes, congratulations. We're one of 140 farms able to do so. But it's just so ironic because not even 10 years ago, my father-in-law who lives on the same property as me was arrested and he is a felon for growing 20 cannabis plants on the literal exact same property. And so I'm working hard. I'm hopefully going to get his conviction overturned, but it's just, you know, the difference that 10 years can make in one law. It's just so many lives were really, 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 really harmed. Yeah. I mean, there are still people in jail depending on, you know, what, what state it was. Absolutely. So, you know, you're growing your own now. What strains are you growing? So we are definitely not like large scale growers. I actually kind of fell into growing and I'll tell you a little story. I didn't set out to be a cannabis farmer. I just wanted to have cannabis plants that I could take pictures with for my Instagram. I know that sounds so silly. So I got my, ended up getting my hemp growers permit two years ago and the plants, they look exactly the same. The only It's a chemical difference. You can't tell how much THC is in a CBD plant versus a THC plant. So I had all the pictures and I was excited. And so I grew for two years and that's how I was eligible to apply for this conditional use license is you could only apply if you were a hemp grower. I'm still shocked that even got it, but we're not going to be a full scale farm. I really just want plants that A, I can take pictures with, B, use for myself, but C, I'm also really considering doing farm tours and allowing people to come see the plants because I feel like people not being able to see the plant and how it grows is such a disconnect in our education. And once people can see it and understand it. Once I saw it grow out of the ground, I understood it so much better. So I really want to just give people the opportunity to see it because so many people have never seen a cannabis plant growing in the ground ever. And they can get really huge, right? Like six feet tall. They're gorgeous. They're so beautiful. And just, I mean, if you have any type of appreciation for nature, flowers, your vegetable garden, anything, just to see something become medicine, something so important for people just in your own backyard is really, really cool. I think there's, there's a lot of lack of knowledge. Definitely me. I get overwhelmed, you know, even poking around on your site, I was, you know, kind of overwhelmed by the strains, like, you know, not knowing what they mean. I think, you know, there's sort of that, that misperception that, you know, the oversimplification that sativa is energizing and indica is calming, but that's not necessarily the case. And then you're looking at something like purple kush or whatever. And I have no idea what any of that means. Like it really is. And that's why it makes it hard to find what's perfect for you. And so when we're talking about different strains, and I just said this on Instagram, it's like kind of like different varieties of tomatoes, right? We've got grape tomatoes and cherry tomatoes and Roma tomatoes. They're all still tomatoes, but they're all a little bit different and you would use them in different situations. And that's kind of how I like to describe strains. And so a lot of people really hold true to the sativa indica upper downer, but there's actually no scientific evidence. And with genetics and breeding, we've gotten so far away from that, that pretty much everything is a hybrid. And so when you're looking at strains, they have crazy names because I mean, people will name them based on the color purple and also the smell pineapple. And so it's the cannabinoids and the ratios and the terpenes and the ratios that define a strain. 
So any cannabis plant growing in the ground could have any variety of cannabinoids and it can have any variety of terpenes. And, and through genetics, breeders can manipulate these and create something special. But in general, there's a lot of variation. And that's where these strains come in is trying to kind of almost classify something and say, you know, has these are the cannabinoids and these are the terpenes present. So this is the strain. But then again, there's just so much variation because I could plant 50 amnesia seeds out in the garden and I could lab test every single one of them. And they're still going to have a little varying concentrations of cannabinoids. And that's where it makes it hard. And so I always tell people your ultimate goal is to find the right cannabinoid in the right ratio and as you get a little bit more advanced, you can start playing around with the terpenes, but that's not as important. At first, that's more of like a connoisseur type <laughs> issue. I find if we could just get the cannabinoid ratios down first, it's a great place to start. Okay. So as someone who bought a house last year, really, this is my second second year going into gardening. So I'm really just still learning about things. But one of the things that was really important to me and that I've always wanted was to have berry plants in yes. my yard. And so mm-hmm. when I bought some blueberries and I bought two native, you know, blueberries, I actually brought three up to the counter and they said to me, is this your first blueberry? And I, I said, yes, we don't have any others. And she's like, you need to take one of these back and go get a different plant because of the cross pollination. And so she's like, you can't plant three of the same variety. (laughs) You need a different variety. So I imagine, you know, the bees, the pollinators must love your yard, right? Yes. And so that's interesting. So cannabis, it's a little bit different because it's a plant. So most plants are hermaphrodites where they'll have both a flower and pollen. Cannabis has two separate sexes. So you can have a female cannabis plant and you can have a male cannabis plant. And it's the female cannabis plant that produces the abundance of trichomes and cannabinoids that we're looking for. So say someone random just gave you a handful of seeds and you were to throw them in your garden. You could have female and you could have males come up. Now the males they will release pollen, which will fertilize the female and drop the concentrations of cannabinoids it produces. So we don't want males ever. Like if anyone talks about a male cannabis plant, they're going to be like, kill it, burn it immediately. And growers get really crazy about it because they claim the pollen can travel up to a mile in the air and come and ruin someone else's crop. So as you've got a little bit more, and this is really not important for a first time user, but if anyone's interested in growing, make sure you're getting feminized seeds and stay away from the males at all costs. Can I tell you how much I love that it's like a matriarchal society? Absolutely. And everyone's like bow down to the female because she is the one that produces what we're looking for. I mean, it's kind of like the poor roosters, you know, nobody, know. Oh, nobody wants the roosters when they get all Sorry, the cheap little, little chickies. Females went out again. <laughs> Oh my goodness. So talking about, you know, all of the strains and all of the different types, but then you get to the level of it's like, okay, I think I want to try something. And then it's like, do I do a gummy or an oil or a concentrate or a salve? Like does the delivery format matter? It really, really does. And that's where it gets another level of complexity because, okay, finally you're like, oh, I'll try this. But Again, how you use them matters. And so I'll just give a quick overview. So we have inhalation. Doesn't have to be smoking. There's something 
you can vape oil, but you can also dry herb vape. I just put a post up about this. It's a, it's a healthier alternative to smoking. It's obviously not without risk, but there's no combustion of the plant material. You're not setting it on fire. You're just using heat to vaporize the cannabinoids. But anyway, with inhalation, most people love it because it has the quickest onset. You can feel the effects within one to three minutes. And that's what's a huge draw for people because on the contrary, if you were to do edibles, it can take up to two to three hours to feel the effects. And so when we're talking about different application methods, you're really thinking about how long is it going to take and how long does it last? So inhalation doesn't last necessarily as long. It lasts maybe one to three hours, and then you might need to inhale again to feel the effects you're looking for. Edibles, again, are opposite. It can take anywhere between 30 minutes to two hours to kick in. It is entirely dependent on your digestive system. And so they can last, depending on how much you take, it can, the effects can last anywhere from four hours to, I mean, if you overdo it, I've seen it last until the next day. It's really, can really last a long time. And again, that depends on what cannabinoids you're consuming and in what ratio. But then beyond just edibles and smoking, we have topical applications. So you can put cannabis right on the skin. That's because we have those CB2 receptors right on our skin. Now, you're not necessarily going to feel high if you put THC on your skin. So if you put like THC lotion on, you're not going to necessarily feel a high effect because it's too much for the the cannabis to penetrate through the epidermis to get into the bloodstream to feel the effect of THC. But on the other hand, we have transdermal patches, which are on the skin for a very, very long time. Those can create an intoxicating effect with THC because they do eventually penetrate the epidermis and get into the bloodstream. Then we have sublingual applications. So you see people putting oil underneath their tongue that helps to get the cannabis right into the bloodstream easily because our mucous membranes, they're much, much lighter and it's easier to penetrate through. That the onset of that can be about 15 to 20 minutes, and that can last anywhere from two to four hours. And again, totally up to each person. And a lot of people who do oil under the tongue will end up essentially swallowing some of that oil, which kind of puts it in a twofold of you're also digesting. So it's also kind of an edible. So being mindful of whether or not you're swallowing it, if it's going through your digestive system. We also see things like cannabis suppositories, rectal and vaginal, which it might be really interesting for your community, especially the vaginal suppositories for pain relief. And it's kind of a newer application method. There's not, you know, as much research out there, but it's definitely a thing. And people are absolutely finding not only pain relief, but, you know, improved sexual experiences. There's a lot of different ways that it can be used. And when it is consumed rectally or vaginally, it's not being digested by the liver. So it's unlikely that you're going to feel any really intoxicating effects. Yeah. That's bringing to mind. I feel like I saw like a lube or or something. I mean, there's a brand, I'll send it to you. They make all sorts of female cannabis products that I mean, people just rave over. And I mean, if that's all it takes to bring you a little enjoyment and comfortableness, like, please let's, let's shout it from the rooftops. I feel like people are And you probably see this too, like shy to say like suppository or rectal or vaginal. But if these are really bringing relief to people, we need to let people know about these. Yeah, I personally with the the topical stuff, you know, I've found when it comes to like general run of the mill sore muscle kind Mm -hmm. of stuff. I don't find it really any more effective than something like a biofreeze or something like that. But where it's really good is with any sort of like 
bone or joint pain. Like if I'm going to a conference or if I'm going to New York City and I'm going to be walking 30,000 steps a day, I am bringing my CBD lotion for my feet at the end of the day, going to rub them, put them up. And that is like magical. See, and I'm so happy because I really want everyone to know, like, it's just about finding like that one thing for you. So like, maybe for me, putting lotion on my feet wouldn't do anything. But when you find that one thing that you're like, this works great. It's like, oh my gosh. It's like, I kind of describe it as like, some people spend their whole life trying to find like the perfect diet for them. And cannabis mm-hmm. is really the same way is you really have to be willing to do a lot of experimentation for a lot of people. Cannabis use the first time isn't the best or they've had a bad experience for their first time. So they're hesitant to go in. But I think it's really important to know that it's just not a one and done. You really have to play with it. You really have to give it the patience and the time it deserves so that you do eventually. I want everyone to be like, I found X, Y, Z and it's magical. That's what I want for everybody. Yeah. If your first and only experience was college, <laughs> I mean, a brownie you ate from someone's mom or yeah, yeah they're never good experiences. It's probably similar to like, you you know, thinking back to your first sexual experience too. Yes, or the first time you drank alcohol. Absolutely. Yeah. But, you know, I remember the first time I tried marijuana in college, it was, you know, I don't even know, street weed or whatever, you know, the cheap stuff yes. yeah, whatever. Yeah. in college. But my friend had a little like wooden bowl. And mm-hmm. so my first experience with it was tastes like ham. Because it had that like, that's so funny. Yeah. Flavor. Yeah. And I was like, does it, it always, does it always taste like ham? Yes, especially if that's like your one and only experience. And, you know, for a lot of people, they, because they don't know what they're getting, will accidentally consume too much THC, which can absolutely make us feel terrible. I mean, racing heart, panic attacks, sweating, like it really is a very uncomfortable feeling. And I would love to spare everybody from that. I mean, of course you're not going to die, but nobody wants to feel like that. And if that was your first experience, of course, you're going to be like, I am never touching that again. Yes. And you, you have, Emily has a great article on her website about what to do if you get yourself in that situation. Yes. CBD was one of the, you know, you want to counteract it with CBD. But the other one I was really surprised by, I had no idea this was new to me, was the black peppercorns. Yes. And so that's where we get into our terpenes. And, you know, terpenes is taking it to a whole nother level. But terpenes are, it's the compounds that make anything smell. Flowers, tomatoes, cannabis. And so terpenes themselves have their own medicinal properties. And so they believe it's the terpenes in the black pepper that work within the endocannabinoid system to help reduce that experience and make you feel better. Yeah. So you, you sort of brought up diet a minute ago. Yeah. And you know, in general, if you, you know, tinctures, they're obviously oils. So there's calories in the oil, there's calories in the edible. Usually people aren't consuming more than one or two small edibles or small pieces of chocolate. You do have some really like opulent looking recipes on your website. Thank you. Thank you. But what I find more often with clients who do use cannabis regularly is the munchies kick in. So it's not not the edibles themselves that are adding calories and maybe like you know, preventing you from meeting your dietary goals. It's the, the after effects. Yeah. Everybody has their different things that they like to eat. 
a lot of my clients tend to fall into the smooth, creamy yes. category where like ice cream is like the best thing yeah. you've ever eaten or cereal or things like yep. that. Yep. there. So before we get back to the rest of the episode, I just wanted to pop in real quick and tell you about a new workshop I've put together called PCOS Meal Prep Made Easy. If you're like most folks I hear from, you're confused and overwhelmed by all the conflicting info out there about what to actually eat with PCOS. And you may feel like you don't even know where to start. In this hour-long workshop, I break down what foods you want to include for PCOS and what you might want to consider avoiding or minimizing. And I share my simple three-step formula for planning meals with PCOS. The best part is it does not involve spending hours in the kitchen. Yes, you can absolutely incorporate this formula while cooking at home, but what's really great is that you can apply it no matter where you are in a restaurant, getting takeout, at a family meal, or even while traveling. Head over to thehormonedietitian.com forward slash easy PCOS, all one word, to sign up now. Signing up is your first step to finally understanding how to eat to manage PCOS. All right, cool. I'll see you there. Let's get back to the episode. There is there really any way to prevent munchies or so there's nothing that is concrete enough to come out yet but there is speculation that there is a cannabinoid called thcv a form of thc and there are multiple forms of thc not to make it even more complicated than it is but we're most commonly familiar with delta 9 thc there's delta 8 there's delta 10 there's thcv THCV, tetrahydrocannabinoid, it's a minor cannabinoid. So it's not like we're seeing a lot of it naturally in the plant, but they believe that that is something that can absolutely help. I don't know if they know whether it's like an appetite regulator. And then there's also a terpene called humulene, which they believe can also help. Again, even being able to find these specific cannabinoids in products is hard. I think in the future, we will absolutely see things targeted for weight loss and things like that. But Right now, the best advice I can give to people is if you're uncontrollable, you're consuming too much THC. That's really, it is the truth. And I also find that it will expose any bad habits that are already existing. So if you don't drink any water throughout the day and you find yourself with the uncontrollable munchies, maybe it's more related to being dehydrated. I just feel like cannabis magnifies anything or people say, I've had the munchies so bad, but what did you eat for lunch? Nothing. It will absolutely exacerbate any bad habits and kind of bring them to light. And I always found that the munchies affected me a lot less after I became like a consistent user. I really find that munchies Mm -hmm. are hit new users the hardest. And again, if you're consuming too much THC, And again, if you just don't have general healthy lifestyle habits, it really can just kind of shine a light. I work out every day. I try really hard to eat like a really healthy diet. And I don't find at this point that I have any struggles with munchies anymore. But if I have a different strain, like every once in a while, and again, it's the strain differences here, whether or not it's the terpenes or the cannabinoids, but every once in a while I have a strain, I'm like, I am so hungry. I have the munchies. So it's, you know, there's no perfect, there's no perfect way to say it, but definitely manipulating other factors. 
in toning down the THC. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the benefits for those who are struggling with appetite, you know, people, people who are going through cancer treatment, things like that. It can help stimulate appetite. But again, it's, you know, it's up to your bio-individuality too. You may not feel hungry. And I love what you said about it sort of reveals, you know, your true, your true nature and like, what you actually want. So you may be saying you want to follow a healthy diet, but exactly inner you really hundred percent. Absolutely. Wants that pine of ice yes, cream. Of course. Yeah. And there's a little bit of research. I haven't seen anything super concrete, but there's like mumbles that consuming like a lot of THC can drop your blood sugar levels. And so that it's just like a physiological response to that. So, you know, you could always eat a meal while you're medicating or medicate as you eat your meal and kind of time those together so that they can hopefully coincide and get you the results that you're looking for. Yeah. Especially with the edibles. So you would talk about that being absorbed. Food is one thing and type of food that you're eating them with too. Right. And I can never remember if, if you eat something with that in it, that is more likely to intensify the effects. Correct. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of twofold. So cannabinoids in the plant matter, they're lipophilic. So they want fat anyway. That's why we're always making butter and oil infusions is because those cannabinoids like that fat. And then on the other side, you know, fat obviously slows our digestion and it really can. So I find personally, if I eat edibles on an empty stomach, I almost don't even feel it. But if I eat edibles with a meal, because not only are you eating it with the fat, but whatever else you're eating it, it it will prolong your experience, but because it's going through the digestive system with food, you have more of a chance for things to be absorbed in the body and then thus feel it. Yeah. So talk to me about dosing. So sometimes, you know, particularly with edibles, you could take one dose and have one reaction. You know, you could take five milligrams of THC and feel really high. Yes. Another time you could take 10 milligrams and feel nothing. The person next to you could take the same dose and have an entirely different reaction. So how do you even begin to determine what an appropriate dose might be? Is it better to like start slow and then... That's the golden rule. That's the golden rule. You always start low and go slow. And so I should say when we come to edibles and we're really only talking about THC because you can eat as much CBD as you want, you'll be fine. THC, it's so when you eat it, it travels through the digestive system and it's metabolized in the liver. And when it's metabolized in the liver, it is converted by enzymes into a new molecule called 11-OH-THC. 11-OH-THC is what gives the high from edibles. It's not actually the THC itself. And 11-OH-THC, it's up to four times more potent and intoxicating, and it really easily crosses the blood-brain barrier. So that's why edibles are so much different because you're almost not even dealing with THC. You're dealing with 11-OH-THC. However, it depends on your body's enzymes ability to change that THC into 11-OH-THC. So there's a lot of people who will say, you know, I don't feel the effects of edibles at all. And we don't know for sure, but could that be an enzyme deficiency? Because there are a lot of anecdotal reports out there of people taking digestive enzymes along with their edibles and feeling an effect when they probably hadn't before. 
But again, there's so much variability into what is actually causing your body to produce the enzymes, use the enzymes to convert the THC into 11-OH THC. And that's why there is that variability. And that is why it's so important to start low. And five milligrams is perfect. Maybe even if you already know you're sensitive and maybe if you're sensitive to other drugs in general, you can't go wrong being too conservative. 2.5, start out at 2.5. And what I do recommend is you don't, do not take a second serving the same day because you truly will not know, especially if you take a second serving within 30 minutes, your body hasn't even had the time to process the first. And so a lot of people, they get impatient, you know, and they're like, this didn't work, but then they end up double dosing themselves and feel even worse. So we always tell people, you know, it's like any medication. You just, you have to be willing to be patient and experiment. And I do think that keeping like a cannabis journal, whether it's just an informal piece of paper or an app is so, so helpful because you can say, you know, today my symptoms are X, Y, Z. I took dose Y and afterwards, you know, it took however long to feel it. And now I feel like this because Going back and being able to see that is so, so helpful and being like, wow, I felt great on a day. I had five milligrams of THC and five milligrams of CBD, but I felt really terrible when I had 10 milligrams. And that can really just give you a lot of insights. It's it's like the same as taking care of any other aspect of your health. What we record, what we can see really only just gives us more knowledge to be able to tailor it later on. Yeah. And, you know, as you mentioned, there can be that delay. So you don't want to jump the gun and think that you didn't take a high enough dose. Just note down those effects and, you know, remember that for next time. And if you don't feel it, you wasted a day. But it's still better than double dosing and feeling unwell and then wasting your day. I feel like anxiety is one of the trickiest ones because there's probably like a little magic window where it's like you have to take just enough to take the edge off the anxiety without triggering more anxiety. 100% because too much THC absolutely will trigger anxiety. And especially if you're already anxious about taking it and it's one of the biggest double-edged swords, you write that magic number. There's a little bit, it's different for everybody. And it's just that little bit of THC with the right amount of CBD. And once you find it, you're like, oh, this is perfect. But you don't want to swing the other way because you don't want to make yourself feel bad or increase your anxiety because then, you know, you're going to be too scared to try again. Yeah. Yeah. And definitely, you know, there are people you can talk to about what, you know, format you might try. You being one of them, this is one of the things you work with your your community on. But anyone who's, you know, educated in the field should be able to guide you in the right direction based on what you're looking for and what the symptoms you're having are that you're looking to alleviate. Yes. And and in most cases, Everyone should be recommending the same thing. You start low and you go slow and you find what works for you. If you find someone who's like, try 50 milligrams of THC and see what happens, please run so far away so fast. Like the golden rule, you always start low because you never know how someone is going to react. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously there are a few states where recreational cannabis is legal. What does the process look like in a state where only medical marijuana is legal. Um, that's where where I am in New Hampshire. We have medical approval. So someone has to, you know, get approved for right. a card. You know, I think that's something you actually help 
yeah. people with yeah. as well as finding out if they have a condition that would qualify them? What does that look like? I think most people would be absolutely shocked to know how easy it is to be qualified for a card. I think at first when it came out, it was so kind of like, oh my gosh, I have to find a doctor. I have to plead my case. And it is not like that anymore. Like lots of uh, glaucoma, right? Everyone right? had glaucoma yes. all of a sudden. Yeah. At this point, I feel like it's just a formality. So there are a lot, and I, I work with some of them, a lot of big online platforms that help with the certification process. They have their own certifying doctors, but it's nothing more than a 15 minute Zoom call. You can put in your information and chronic pain is a qualifier in almost every state. And you don't have to have a diagnosis of chronic pain. You just have to have a diagnosis of something that causes chronic pain. So here in New York state, I have a diagnosis. I have pelvic inflammatory disease, which causes chronic pain. And that's how I got my card. Now, at first I didn't think I could get my card because I was like, oh, I don't have any one of these, but if you can relate it back to pain, you can absolutely get your card. And the nice part is, is you put your information on, if they can't certify you, they don't charge you. So it's not like you're losing anything. So you basically just put in your information. If they can go through you, it's like a 10 minute zoom call. The doctor's like, you know, what's wrong with you? And you're like, X, Y, Z. And they're like, okay, great. Here's your card. It's a piece of paper. You'll get a regular card in the mail, but then you can just go walk into a medical dispensary. And I really do believe that there are significant benefits for people to get their medical cards, even if they're in a recreational state. It provides a lot of legal protection, but it also provides an access to safe products. If you don't have access, like even in New York, it's recreational here, but there are no dispensaries. There's nowhere to get anything. Nothing is up and running. The only place you can get, you know, medical quality stuff is at the dispensary. But, and when I was pregnant, I ended up getting my medical card because I wanted to protect myself legally that way. So there are still a lot of benefits. There are tax benefits. So you will get taxed less as a medical patient versus a recreational patient. And then they do have most dispensaries have actual doctors or consultants that you can talk to. So you can get that one-on-one -on -one and they can guide you kind of like I am here in a general sense. They can get your personal information and give you a personalized recommendation for what to shop for while you're in the dispensary. Yeah. I think, you know, it can be really important to, to act proactively in certain circumstances. Yep. You know, I I had a friend diagnosed with breast cancer and making an appointment to get her card was one of the first things that she did even before she started chemo treatment it's because so she was smart. like, I want to have that. I want to be able to play around, yes. figure yes. out what's going to work for me before I get into a situation where I'm too sick to deal with it. So, so smart. And honestly, once people hear medical card, I don't care if it's a doctor, a cop, anyone, they're like, okay, whatever. They literally don't care. Like as long as you have that medical card, whatever the validation is that the paper says that you can have cannabis fine, but there are so many more protections. It, it, depending on your circumstance, it could be absolutely worth the $200 to go and get the card. Yeah. We, we don't have, I, there's not a lot of doctors here in New Hampshire. And I actually entered my zip code into your oh. platform to see, you know, what the process would look like. Yeah. It's, it's hard here. There aren't that many dispensaries no. or providers. I think there's only like three in the yeah. state, but it, it actually is relatively easy to get approved with. I think my husband has like three different conditions that would qualify him because he has like all sort of colitis. Oh, yes. Yeah. You know, it's like anything, almost anything, almost anything, except not anxiety, not anxiety, not depression. I mean, 
it's more for physical at this point. Physical pain stuff or inflammation. Yeah. So what about the states? Because there are still states where recreational and medical is still not legal. So are there ways to use cannabis in those states or is it really, you know, those sticking with the CBD type products or what would that look like? You know, it's really up to each individual's unique circumstances. And I never want to tell anybody to break the law, but I do think that, I mean, if you're not advertising what you're doing, it's very unlikely that people care or are watching you. I think that we all have to make decisions that are right for ourselves, regardless of what the government tells us how to do it. There's also something to be said for not being flashy about it, but, you know, making your own personal choice, but there are other options. So for example, I have a new product on my website that is THC gummies and they could each gummy contains 12.5 milligrams of THC, but we are able to ship them to 47 States legally under the 2018 farm bill. And this comes into math. Now I failed algebra like four times, but (laughs) bear with me. One gummy is five grams. And so the 2018 farm bill states, it has to be less than 0.3% THC by dry weight volume. So the gummy itself is five milligrams. And if you did the math, 0.3% of five milligrams or 5,000 grams is 15 milligrams. So technically, if I had 15 milligrams of THC, it's still legal. So I'm even under the legal limit now. And so I think you're definitely going to see these loopholes starting to come out, especially with edibles, because it's so easy to manipulate the other ingredients like sugar to have that weight where you can actually still get the THC that you're looking for and still be within those legal parameters. And so I think you'll start seeing that a lot more now that people are are like, oh, this actually is legal and I can do this. And there's really nothing that anybody can do about it. It seems illegal because you're like, I'm not supposed to have the THC, but by their own definitions, it's hundred percent legal. Yeah. Why am I in one of the three states? Like the 2018 farm bill is federal, but each state can come in and make their own rules on top of that. And so New Hampshire and South Dakota and Idaho maybe have, I think, a ban on any percent of THC, period. Yeah, I got to say, because our whole estate motto is live free or die. Like you can literally ride a motorcycle to the liquor store without a helmet on a Sunday morning and like, you know, basically do anything. And it's really funny because our border towns with mass, like immediately cross into New Hampshire and it's like, fireworks, guns, live nude girls. Like we have, it's just this whole, like, you know, it's really trashy on the border. But freedom, uh, all of these freedoms. This this is like the one thing. And it's like, well, we could equally go across the border into mass where... Which people do, yes. Yeah, so it's like, I I guess, you know, they're kind of getting payback for, you know, coming to us for their fireworks for all these years and now. I don't understand why politicians, and it's a political thing, but like, what are they so scared of? Like, especially if you like got free reign on guns and stuff, like where where is the THC, like the immediate danger? I just... I knew someone in New York who worked as a park ranger, like up in the Adirondacks. And he was like, you know, whenever they would get the call that, that a bunch of people were like smoking in the woods, he's just like, whatever. They're just, you know, chill. Living like, it's, you know, you get much more worried when someone is 
drinking a lot of alcohol and causing absolute damage. Mm -hmm. And that's something I wanted to talk to you about too, because you talk a lot about the stigma and especially the stigma among moms of using cannabis where it's like totally absent when we're talking about alcohol. And there's such a culture of like mommy juice and like mommy needs her wine. And it's just like rampant. But why is that? And like, what's, what's going on? It's just like generational conditioning to be scared, to be. And I always like, why I always think to myself, why are people so afraid of being high or the thought of being high or the term being high? Because people talk about being tipsy all the time in in a way it, it can be enjoyable and j- just like using cannabis can be enjoyable but we we're not concerned about people feeling tipsy it's normal and we don't look at it as something bad and so i just i understand why people are conservative with cannabis because they were grown up to be that way i don't understand why people are just so liberal with alcohol and why it's just okay to be drunk or hungover. I mean, so many horrible things happen with alcohol that just don't happen with cannabis. I just can't wrap my mind, even in this country, why is alcohol legal? Or here in New York, I'm supposed to lock up my cannabis from my kids. I don't lock up my alcohol. I just don't understand how can we, they're not even on the same playing field and yet alcohol is here and cannabis is down here. Honestly, I can't wrap my mind around it. And I don't think it'll ever change in this generation. I think it'll be up to the next generation who was raised with cannabis positive values to understand that it's not harmful. Yeah. I mean, just, you know, based on the number of people who die alone from each substance each year. Crazy. And I mean, it, it's not an exaggeration. Zero people have ever died ever from ingesting too much THC. Our actual endocannabinoid system is built to prevent any type of overdose from cannabis. And so that's why it's like, Alcohol is really so dangerous. And I do think cannabis a lot because I have, you know, I went through a period where I was drinking probably more than I should have. And half an edible for me and some sparkling water has cured that whole issue. I don't feel hungover. Why aren't we celebrating having a healthier alternative instead of being scared? Because there's nothing wrong with being high. There's nothing wrong with feeling tipsy. I know people want to say, you know, you shouldn't want to feel that way, but it's okay if you want to feel high. It's okay if you want to feel tipsy, but doing it responsibly and doing it in a way that's not going to be detrimental to your health later on down the road. Like, I just wish we could be like cannabis is a better, safer alternative to alcohol, but you can choose alcohol too, because you're an adult. And if you have the education, you make your own decision. Yeah. I think, you know, that's something not a lot of people talk about is harm reduction. Right. Yeah. You know, and especially when we're comparing it to things that people really don't think too much about, like, you know, acknowledging maybe I drink too much sometimes. Well, what would happen if you maybe had, you know, some THC instead? Right. Or even, you know, when we're getting into like prescription medications, you know, like, you know, I'm not an expert in prescription medications. I don't, so I don't want to speak outside of my realm of expertise, but the amount of people who have told me that they have eliminated prescription medications from their life. I mean, people should know this. I mean, this should be shouted from the rooftops, but then I just think to myself, that's why we're here in this position in the first place is because they don't want people to know this. If people can take care of their own health in their own backyard with their own gardens, big farmers not making money. And that's really, you know, where the politicalness of it comes in is 
I truly don't feel like they want to allow people to take care of themselves because that loses them money in the long run. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking particularly of like benzodiazepines for mood disorders and anxiety, yes. but also opiates that a lot of people end up, you know, addicted to because of an initial medical issue having to do with pain. And that's cannabis has really saved a lot of people where they initially needed the opioids for a medical condition. The medical condition was alleviated, but the the dependence on opioids was not. And that's where cannabis has come in and helped them to get off of the opioids and get back to where they were going. And I just know so many people who cannabis is the answer for chronic pain. Yeah, we're so quick to be like, no, opiates are the answer for chronic pain. People should have the option to try both and see what makes them feel better. Because again, we all work differently. And maybe cannabis doesn't touch someone's chronic pain. Great, we have other options for you to try. But you should be knowledgeable and comfortable to try both so you can find what works best for you. Yes, and given, you know, sort of what you were talking about before, treated like an adult who can make your own decisions based on... So we trust people to raise children, to own guns, to drive vehicles. Like I was thinking someone, you know, was saying like THC is dangerous. And I was thinking of all the really dangerous, quote unquote, dangerous things I do (laughs) on a daily basis that we don't even think about. It's just, we, I like adults making adult decisions based on education and based on what they know is right for them, not based off of what the government told them to think. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about sort of what you were talking about sort of ties in all together. We were talking about how it has to be activated by heat. Yes. So the plants themselves are innocuous. Harmless. Yeah. Exactly. And so this is where people have a really hard time with it. And again, I, I posted on Instagram recently, like this is why I let my children touch these cannabis plants is it is not harmful. It is no different than them. Honestly, I am more concerned about them eating a random mushroom that grows in the yard than I am about them touching the cannabis plant. First and foremost, my kid is not going to chow down on a cannabis <laughs> plant. He doesn't go out and chow down on the Brussels sprouts or the broccoli or the asparagus. I'm not concerned about that. Second of all, I love how people say follow the science, but they don't want to follow the science when it comes down to this. So New York state says, you know, all cannabis plants should be kept away from children. But on a scientific level, plants do not contain high amounts of THC or CBD. And I'm talking like 1% or less. And that's because the way that cannabis works. And so when the plant is growing, first, it starts out with CBGA, cannabigerol acid, and that breaks down into other cannabinoids. And that will produce CBDA and THCA. And these are just cannabinoid acids. These are non-intoxicating, but they can turn intoxicating through a process called decarboxylation. And we typically don't think about it, but you're decarbing every time you smoke. So imagine you have a pipe and you're putting a lighter to it. That heat is decarboxylating the THCA and converting it to THC, which is intoxicating. When you make edibles, you bake the flour for about 40 minutes at 240 degrees to activate the THC. But if a kid just picked up, you know, a piece of cannabis flour and ate it, they're not going to get high. There's not enough THC and the THCA has not been converted. Now, totally different story with edibles because everything has usually already been converted in and is currently active. But this is where there's so much nuance when it comes to cannabis. So CBDA and THCA are said to have their own properties. So people can experiment with these as well and find if those were good for their own health benefits. And of course, we have so much more to learn, but 
there's believe that you can have tons of health benefits without activating. So if you never want to get high, you don't have to, you can still reap the benefits of cannabis and explore those different cannabinoids, but it, it really is a really important process for people to understand because without that process, you're not going to find any intoxicating effects. And if you're looking for the intoxicating effects, you'll be disappointed. Yeah. So I get a lot of questions around the safety of CBD or THC. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm primarily working with a population who's trying to conceive or they get pregnant and then they're concerned that they may have to stop something that they've found benefits from. And I know what I always tell them is we we just don't have the research either way. You know, there's really nothing to suggest that CBD may be dangerous. You know, it's anti-inflammatory depending. Again, it sort of depends on where you're starting from and what you're taking it for. hundred percent. And And this is so hard, especially because trying to conceive and being pregnant, it's such a special sensitive time in your life anyway. And you're questioning every single decision that you're already making. Mm -hmm. And it's hard when there is literally no science out there to say that it's safe, but there's also literally no science out there to say that it's not safe. And so not as a professional, I'm just saying as a mother who's experienced this, and this is just my personal opinion, if cannabis was harmful to mothers, babies, breastfeeding at any point, we would know. It is the most widely used herb during pregnancy. And if millions of mothers have used cannabis during pregnancy, breastfeeding, et cetera, we would know if something truly awful was happening. And I really find it so sad that we don't have the scientific knowledge to reassure mothers. And the best advice I can give is to take your own mental health into consideration. And is cannabis is cannabis maintaining and preserving and protecting your mental health? Because as you're going through such a huge life change, really ultimately mental health is very, very important, maybe if not the most important. And if taking cannabis out of your life is going to send you into a tailspin, is that any better? Where Again, harm reduction, what is the path of least resistance? And for a lot of people, it's really scary to think about not taking cannabis because the anxiety will come back. The depression will come back. And so you really have to weigh your personal situation, your personal values, your morals. If you have a doctor you can talk to about it, that's great. I know it's few and far between. Thankfully, when I, I was pregnant, I had a midwife who was amazing and so super supportive, but ultimately it's a decision that comes from your gut. No one can make it for you. And there's no right answer. I know. I always just caveat that with usually the worst way to ingest or the the most potentially harmful to our health. The wor- I mean, the worst way to ingest anything really is by lighting it on fire and smoking it. Exactly. Because we know there are negative effects, negative health effects of smoking. And we know there are compounds in smoke that you know, are not there when you're ingesting it in a different form. I think there was actually just recently, like a study just came out about the effects of smoking cannabis on fertility parameters. We know smoking anything is harmful. Smoking anything is like... Pregnancy. Absolutely. And that's why, you know, thankfully there are other methods. And if you 
choose if it's the right decision for you to use cannabis during your pregnancy, then exploring other alternative harm reducing options is, is a great place to start. You know, you can modify your routine to something that's comfortable for you, where you can sleep at night saying, you know, I'm doing the best I can. I'm making the best decision that is not only preserving my mental health, but in consideration of my baby and my ultimately your whole family. And, you know, we do that every day in pregnancy care and medicine. You know, we're always... The food we eat, the actions we take. It's you're always constantly picking what is what is ultimately going to bring me the most satisfaction with the least amount of harm. Yeah, we're always weighing those pros versus the cons, you know, and that's why even with things with, you know, antidepressants or anti-anxiety meds that are technically not pregnancy safe, you know, it's like, well... Going to be safer. And see, if you're willing to experiment with that, then you should, if you feel comfortable, then you should be okay and accepted if you want to experiment with cannabis, because we ultimately don't know how any of these medications work in pregnancy. And again, I just believe in a mother's intuition more than anything else. Like, I feel like, you know, what's right for you and your body. And, you know, if antidepressants are making you feel amazing, you don't just stop taking them during pregnancy. And cannabis is the same way. Like a depressed mother is not good for anybody. You know, I, I, I'm a big believer in maternal mental health first. And if cannabis helps to support that ultimately in the long run, we don't know of any truly negative side effects. I wish we, I wish there was something concrete, but you just have to trust your gut and what you think is right, because there's no one answer. I would, everyone no. wants the answer. I wish I could give the answer, but there's not. So that's all well and good. I mean, you know, I love that you're so out, outspoken about that. I know you're just coming back from a social media leave. Yes. It's rough out there. No, especially for moms. <laughs> Especially for a cannabis using mom. So, I mean, I, you know, was so public on Instagram about my cannabis use. Here I am, XYZ, blah, blah, blah. I didn't think I could get pregnant. So, when I got pregnant, it was a huge, huge surprise that, you know, not only rocked my regular life, but I had hyperemesis gravidum for the first oof, 20 weeks. I mean, I was so sick. Like, I thank God that cannabis was already in my life because I don't know how I would have made it through. And I did not have that with my first pregnancy. I mean, I spent every day on the, I could not get up. I could not take care of my other son. Like, and I think God I had cannabis because I was at least able to eat enough where I wasn't losing weight, but gosh, I just, I was so nervous about the negative. I I just didn't want to share my experience. And as much as I would have loved to, I wanted to protect my own heart, my own family. I didn't want people to judge me. I don't want people to judge my baby. I didn't, you know, he's so perfect and wonderful, but I really just wanted to keep that experience to myself. And now that it's been successful, I can come out and say, Hey, I used cannabis during my pregnancy and everything was fine. I'm so lucky. I had a doctor who was super, super pro cannabis and pro mother health and mother making the right decision for herself. But people are so mean and people are just seriously so uninformed about cannabis that I just didn't have the energy in me to fight the good fight. Oh, yeah. If that makes You're sense. You're barely keeping food down. Like you don't have time right. to like, I just, I, fight with yeah, randos. Like that, yeah. No. And now I will. Now I've got the energy. I'll fight with you any day. Do you know someone wrote a comment? I was talking about the endocannabinoid system and they go, you can't just make up sciencey words <laughs> to make it be okay. And I was like, my God, we have so much work to do. Yeah. Oh, I, I hear it 
all the time, but my, my motto for, for this year, and I've just really kind of doubled down on it in 2022 is protect my peace. hundred percent. Yes. Uh, That's exactly what I did. That's why I left social media because at the end of the day, if you're not mentally well for yourself, if social media is taking a toll on your mental health, that's not worth it to me. Like my mental health is so precious and you know, that's why I use cannabis. That's why I work out. That's why I eat healthy. That's why I devote time to my friends and family outside of social media. If you have something like that coming in and like destroying all your efforts at what cost? I mean, I made a lot of money from Instagram and I still walked away from it because there is nothing more important than your piece. Yeah, absolutely. You don't have to have to talk. To and I mean, anyone listening who needs the nudge. Since you've been gone for a year, I will say things have shifted quite a bit in that past year where it's it's more and more thankless every day because you're, you know, the algorithm shifts and you know, oh, having to, to play the game. And so it's like you have to play the game and you're getting criticism all the time. And it's just like even if you have really good boundaries in place around social media, it, Oh, it it will never, it will never. And, and I know for me personally, like I take criticism really to heart. Like, and I, my husband's, I said to my husband, I was like, I need a therapist for all the mean things people say to me online. And he's like, seriously. And I was like, yeah, seriously. Like people are crazy. Like, even though I know it's them, not me, I still take it to heart. And I'm still like, what am I doing wrong? But I mean, with the state of the world and the way it is now, like I just shouldn't even be surprised at this point of all the things that come out of people's mouths. No, well, I am glad you're out there with your message that Thank you're you. promoting because you. you know you're saying things a lot of a lot of people don't know about or aren't comfortable talking about, and I think it's really helpful to have someone who is so educated in the science you know, and really can help guide people. So please tell people where they can find you. Yeah. So, I mean, everything I do stems from my website, emilykylenutrition.com. You can get to my store, my newsletter. Instagram would be my favorite social media platform at emilykylenutrition. Otherwise, my website, my baby, it's where all the good things happen. And that's where you can find, I mean, you can go in on the search bar and type in endocannabinoid system, strains, indica, sativa, whatever you want. I hope that I have all the guides to support you and kind of give you that knowledge. So you can kind of just comb through it at your own pace. It's wonderful. I was poking around on there. I was like, these recipes look amazing. I signed up for the newsletter. You're so sweet. You have a community that you can join. And the shop, which, you know, unfortunately I can't shop in my state, but other listeners can shop in their state. So what would be one thing that you would want people curious about trying cannabis to take away from this episode? Just that it's not a one and done experience. Cannabis is not a one night stand. It is a long-term relationship that you have to nurture. You know, relationships take work and that work is going to be you being willing to experiment and find what works for you. And, you know, not being afraid to not only use it, but talk about it if it makes you feel better, you know, because there are a lot of women who are still, you know, so stuck in that taboo until they hear a friend talk about it or until they hear someone else talk about it. And the more that we can share at, at an individual level, what cannabis brings to us, the more other people can open their eyes and understand that it really is just a plant that makes people feel better. Well, I appreciate you being here so, so much and sharing you. all of this information with us. 
Thank you you. for coming and thank you for having me. Thank you to the audience for listening. We'll be back next week. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening to this episode of Hormonally Yours with the Hormone Dietitian. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you could open up the podcast app you're probably using to listen to this episode right now and leave a quick rating or review. Your reviews help this podcast get seen by more women who could benefit from the information I share here. Stay tuned for our next episode. And in the meantime, stay balanced. Stay balanced.